for me, recovery is about the living piece. It goes beyond the substance. So it, it doesn't matter if you are an ex-heroin user, an ex-cocaine user, an ex-alcohol user. It's about what happens to you once you start to move away from the substance and do the work. I knew that I needed to change and then somewhere along the line, I started to want to change. But I had that starting point. I had that caring person who, when I was in my deepest, darkest moment and nowhere else to go and potentially ruining this relationship and only for them holding their hand out to me. And that was my sister, Mary, only for her saying, do you want a cup of tea before you go? Because I had burned all the bridges there. I don't know what would have happened to me. Or when we, we hold on to it being about a substance, we exclude people who want to make a change in their relationships or want to make a change in education, but are not quite ready to make the change with the medication. And we stigmatize. And what, what you talked about a moment ago was this um, very fixed view of where recovery begins and ends. And I think what we've done in the last 10 years is allowing people to self-define. So I'm in recovery when I say I'm in recovery. And that means I'm making a meaningful change to me and that's enough. Um, can I bring the elephant into the room uh, so that we name this in our first our first talk? And uh, th this is a conversation you and I would have quite a lot, but is the science trying to own fellowship? Welcome to Let's Talk About Recovery, a series of talks with Professor Johanna Ivers and recovery coach and founder of Recovery Hour, Sandra Losty. The series of talks has its origins with an International Women's Day collaboration with the professor and the recovery coach, where they talked about the point at which the science and the lived experience meets. Hello, my name is Sandra Losty, recovery coach and founder of Recovery Hour, and I am with the lovely Professor Johanna Ivers, assistant professor in addiction at the School of Medicine, Trinity College, and the associate Dean of Civic Engagement and Social Innovation at Trinity College. No mean feat going on there. That's lots, lots of good stuff going on, lots of good stuff. Today, we are going to talk to you around why we thought this conversation between myself and Johanna, we are friends, to be upfront and transparent about that. We are friends and friends for a long time. And we have these really crazy out there kind of conversations the wonderful thing about it is, is that they are always coming to a shared space. And when we had the event in your building last week with the International Women's Day collaboration that we did, and we had one of these conversations, we kind of thought maybe we should maybe we should continue this on and, and see, uh, see the people like the other stuff that we talked about, because people seem to like that on the day. So today, Johanna, we're going to talk about what? They were going to talk about recovery and all things recovery. I think we tend to talk about addiction quite a lot. And then we talk about people becoming abstinent or living a life of, without drugs. But we kind of don't talk about the process and the factors in the middle. Um, well, we do, me and you do. But I think that broader conversation needs to happen. So let's have it. Let's talk about recovery, which is coincidentally the title of the the series of talks. We're on to a good start already. So I'm a person with lived experience uh, and I 
uh, found recovery in 1995. I'm very grateful that that was my path and that I was still in my 20s. We, we have these conversations around, I'm very happy. And I always say I was 28 when I go into recovery, uh, probably nearer 29, but I always claw back that couple of months of that year uh, to say that, you know, addiction, alcoholism, it didn't get those, those last few months. And I'm very happy about that. And so recovery for me was very much a 12 step process. It was very much abstinent based. I don't think I even heard of any other pathway. It was either, you know, kind of fellowship or nothing or treatment. And what I knew about treatment was most of them did a 12 step uh, program in there anyway. So pathways of recovery and different ways or, or different avenues that they weren't even on the table that I was aware of, you know, so. um. So recovery, my understanding and my perception of recovery has definitely changed over the years. I was very much a, a blunt, only the 12 steps work and they did work for me. But then thankfully we got a little bit maturer around that. But Johanna, what is what is recovery to you? You know, what what from a scientific point of view, which is really what we're here to talk about, how did these two points meet? What is recovery? Give us the definition from a scientific perspective. Well, I think we have to kind of flip the definition on its head and stop talking about recovery in terms of drugs. So in other words, we talk about recovery or we did, as you say, talk about recovery once someone became abstinent. So once they ceased using drugs or alcohol, we started to talk about that very narrowly. We talked about those group of people being in recovery. But actually, as the years went on, recovery hasn't changed. It's always been there, but how we view it and how we talk about it has changed. So for me, recovery is about the living piece. It goes beyond the substance. So it, it, it doesn't matter if you are an ex-heroin user, an ex-cocaine user, an ex-alcohol user. It's about what happens to you once you start to move away from the substance and do the work um and when we talk about doing the work it's just about living it's about improving the quality of life it's about a term that me and you will use quite a lot that's called recovery capital and we really need to see things in terms of the capital that people have so in other words what assets have you got in your life that are helping you live a better life than the one that you lived when you used drugs so those things are meaningful relationships um better health physical and psychological um contribution to family community society uh might be for some people returning to education or going to education for the first time might be taking on training um or getting a job you know, in a particular area that you've always wanted to do, but it is about that enhancement and that better life that people live. And so why it's important to stop thinking about it in terms of substance is that when we think about recovery through the narrow lens of you stop using drugs, you become in recovery, and then all of those things happen. It's quite a, as I say, a narrow way to look at it. And it's not how life and recovery evolves because it's much more natural than that. Some people might 
you know, be stabilized on a dosage of methadone, let's say, and find a local course that gives them a bit of self-confidence and they meet a community of people and they start going to fellowship and you can see the improvement then. So again, back to that capital relationships, adding in training and education, contributing to your community. So once those things start to happen uh, for a person, they kind of build on each other and it effectively, um, for me, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about recovery. And that's what the science is talking about. Um, it's factors that help people live a better life and they're measurable. Like, you know, if you have a course or you don't have a course, you know, if you are, you know, have 10 more friends than you had last week. So they are quantifiable things that we can start to look at, and measure and feel better about as opposed to this, oh, I'm not drinking or I am drinking a little bit or I'm drinking less. All of those things kind of become less relevant. And the reason, I guess, again, just to, to finish on this one, but the reason why it's important for all of us to recognize that in people is that when we don't recognize that or when we, we hold on to it being about a substance, we exclude people who want to make a change in their relationships or want to make a change in education, but are not quite ready to make the change with the medication, or it's not the right time for them to make that change. And we stigmatize. And what, what you talked about a moment ago was this um, very fixed view of where recovery begins and ends. And I think what we've done in the last 10 years, and we're good at it in Ireland, but they're much better in the US and the UK, is allowing people to self-define. So I'm in recovery when I say I'm in recovery. And that means I'm making a meaningful change to me. And that's enough. And that starts with me. And I am very, you know, you're empowering the person because it's them who decides that as opposed to this very fixed view of a clinical measure like abstinent or not abstinent. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it is very, um, yeah, the, there's a cut there that there's no gray area there's no and there's no room for exploring or testing or dipping the toe into something else to see if that works it's it's quite uh yeah it's quite fixed as you say um and it's not at all helpful no no I, and I can see why a lot of people and I will know some of these people as well where AA or NA or the fellowships don't necessarily work for them or they they don't feel that that's their place and yet there, there's no alternative route or there's no way for them to explore something else you know and I'm very happy that recovery as I understand it has broadened out to that because I mean my own personal experience was abstinence I needed abstinence and th that was that was my journey but in 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 that journey in that uh, time after the decision was made to stop and I wanted to change and I think that's very important for me to say that is I knew that I needed to change and then somewhere along the line I started to want to change you know because I started to see the benefits of it but I had that starting point I had that caring person who when I was in my deepest darkest moment and nowhere else to go and potentially ruining this relationship you know and only for them holding their hand out to me. And that was my sister, Mary, only for her saying, do you want a cup of tea before you go? Because I had burned all the bridges there. I don't know what would have happened to me, you know, um, 
So I had that caring person and it takes only one person to make you to make you feel cared for and wanted. And, you know, somebody, you're a value to somebody or your life is valuable to somebody, you know, and that then built on, you know, kind of got into a community, a fellowship. And then I got onto a course, which was Salcha. And then I managed to get on a training course. All of those things that you talked about, that was that was definitely my journey. But what I want to say is that. If I didn't start to think about recovery as about life, I'd still be thinking about it as not picking up, avoiding substances, you know, and I'd be in a very narrow, um, a ne- very narrow lane and I'd miss out on a lot of life, you know, um, and you and I know each other, you know, 20 years. So I would have been in the in, in the first few years of my recovery when you and I met. Now, I know you were only a child. You were in nappies. <laughs> we have this standing joke that I was Johanna's babysitter. I probably could have been your babysitter, actually, you know, but 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 we start we both were on a kind of a we were both on a journey. You were, you know, coming into that space yourself and growing and nurturing your own uh, pathway in, in your life. And I was on on this kind of a journey. So we kind of grew up together, really, didn't we, in a, in where we were going in our life. Um, so what I wanted to ask is, after all that long winded uh, piece, what I wanted to ask is. Tell us why the science is interested in the study that it did with the with the uh, around the fellowships and and part of what this series of talks is to narrow that gap or to to kind of have the conversations with people where we see the science and the lived experience sharing the same space because there can be quite opposite kind of views around this so what did the science find out about the fellowships well I suppose I said it to you that the you know it was probably the best kept secret in science was um mutual aid as the Americans uh coined and 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 referred to it but mutual aid means the fellowships as we know it. So NAAA. Um, and what what's coming out now is a strong science to say that fellowship works. But I mean, for most people that's in fellowship, they'll say, so tell me something I don't know. But why that's important from a scientific perspective is what we talked about earlier on, is the ability to be able to measure something. So to say that here's a population of people that did something, uh, continue to do it, wanted to change a behavior, um, and that behavior is changed and that change is sustained. So in other words, when you follow them up or when a, a period of time passes, that desired change is still in place. So in this case, people who wanted to stop drinking or using drugs connected with this community. And so mm. this goes back to what I talked about, this this. Uh, recovery capital so they connected with a community of like-minded people who forged relationships gave them a space to come to share their story and what was really interesting and what we know really works is that showcase or that role modeling so that you have a group of people who have gone on the journey a little bit ahead of you and they're able to say I was exactly like you 10 years ago or three months ago or whatever the case is and these are the things that I did I showed up I connected with people I did my 12-step program so we talk about manual approaches and and to fellowship and and AA is probably the longest one that we have of that so it has a, a 
a manual, a user's guide that in this case, they talk about 12 steps. So you work your way through the 12 steps. So you've got your community, you're showing up, you're doing your 12 steps. People like any community are sharing their assets. So I might give you a job or I might share with you that I've done an access course in, in Trinity and that you want to do that. So I show you the way. So I let you build your uh, assets alongside mine or I model mine so that you can do what you want. So it goes back to those factors. I help you maybe as a sponsor, then uh, develop a relationship, repair a relationship or sustain a relationship. So we're always talking about those assets and those factors, as I say, that help people live a life that they want to live, an enhanced life, a better life than the life they had when they were on drugs or a better life than they ever dreamed of. Because for some people, you know, we talk about or we used to talk about in the 90s um, when I was a child, <laughs> we used to talk about rehabilitation, you know, and the thing that was wrong about re like what was incorrect about rehabilitation is that you're talking about repairing or, or putting something in place uh you know fixing something up but for some people they've never had it in the first place so what we're seeing now in the US is these really strong scientific studies that um are built on the strongest most robust um methods like the Cochrane method which uh is anybody in science will know that that's a really it's the gold standard of reviews so what academics in the US, uh, namely John Kelly and Keith Humphreys did was they looked at all of the studies that looked at fellowship um, and they combined those studies using this framework that is the, the Cochrane Review um, or the gold standard. And they, you know, came to the conclusion that this is, you know, scientifically sound that being a member of a fellowship is uh, a, a way to uh, get recovery and to sustain recovery. And then they looked at it in terms of more traditional treatment methods. So things like CBT, um, and they, set, they, they even went as far as to conclude that these, that being part of the fellowship was, um, a person would be better off than if they just did a traditional treatment method like, let's say, CBT, which in and of itself is a gold standard treatment. And again, to go full circle, the reason why is what I talked about. When you show up for CBT, you're very much following a, a program. You're an individual engaging with an individual treatment. When you're in fellowship, you're building a community and it's the community and the connection that keeps people sustained in their recovery. Mm. Uh, yeah, how important is that? And the and I definitely know for me, going into a fellowship room, feeling the worst in the world, and nobody would want to know me. Sure, you know the last person I I had that was on my side, I had nearly fractured that relationship, and then I find a group of people, you know, who put the hand out, said you're in the right place, come on and sit down. Here's a cup of tea and a cigarette. You're like. Well, I smoked at the time. I don't smoke anymore. <laughs> so, see, life improves, doesn't it? Life gets life gets better, um, and and make more sound decisions. And I think, I think for me, that's when you and I talk about the science and we talk about the findings. What I hear is the ability to make decisions for my life that are for the benefit of my life, and that it grows 
with this capital, when I have a community of people, I've sounding boards, you know, of people to bounce things off that I wouldn't have had previously, you know, or like, as you say, somebody who's gone and done a course or done some sort of a, a program and I can ask them, what was that like and get a feel for it, you know? Um, and then I make decisions based on, on the, the betterment of my life, you know, which is, which is always a good thing, always a good thing. Um, can I bring the elephant into the room uh, so that we name this in our first, our first talk? And uh, th this is a conversation you and I would have quite a lot, but is the science trying to own fellowship? No, I don't think that at all. And I know, and um, you know, to try to explain it rather than defend it, I think what... Um, John Kelly and he, Keith Humphrey's work has done for me is it's a celebration of fellowship. It's about when two worlds come together to make something better. So in other words, everybody that knew about AA knew it worked. So that's why I said it was the worst kept secret. People who needed it knew it worked. But other people who need it didn't know it worked. So, and I'm not talking about the people who necessarily are in the rooms, but it's people who need to refer, people who need to show signpost uh, service and spaces for people so they can build their capital. Because often, let's say, for instance, the first port of call for people when they're looking for any kind of treatment is generally the general practitioner, the GP. So um, it's very important for people that are practicing uh, health uh, in the health system and in the community, particularly to be able to signpost these things. So what I seen happening for many years, because I used to work myself in the treatment services, was it was almost like this parallel system. Like I said, people who got the fellowship went to fellowship and if it worked for them, they stayed there. And like you addressed earlier on, for some people, it's not for them. But what was happening was you would hear these phrases in the clinic of, oh, sure, there's no science behind that. That's not evidence based. And when we're talking about referring people on and giving them a treatment, we're always looking for the best evidence, because when you're trying to help someone with their health, that's exactly what you should be doing. You should be looking to the evidence to see what is this person's uh, need and then what's the best treatment that's available for them. And what I think uh, Keith and John uh, have done is that they've put a science on that, not just for the community of people in recovery, but for practitioners. Uh, so you've got this thing that worked and they knew it worked. And you've got these scientists that also were interested in to see, well, why does it work? Um, and they took their skills and they recognized the skills of because remember why does we've just spent a, a good bit of time explaining why fellowship works and it works because of the people in it and I think what these two guys did was they recognized and celebrated that and they wanted to shout it in the scientific community and so for me it's a perfect partnership but so I don't see it as um and I think like any scientist, like we're all custodians of things and it's about how we look after them and how we interact with people and how we collaborate with our community. And for me, people in recovery are part of my community. So it's how I conduct myself in that. I'm not saying there isn't scientists that are trying to claim that space, but what I think this is an excellent example of where the two worlds can really help each other out for the betterment 
of the issue at hand, which is getting more people in recovery. Absolutely. And from my perspective as a person with lived experience is what I see the science doing is telling the story. You know, and and that that to me is it, it gives it gives me a language that I, I wouldn't have without it, you know, and, and I like that. I personally like like understanding what happened to me, what what happened when that moment hit me of I'm done, like I'm I'm done. This is not working anymore. That was that was such I'm not an artist, but I could nearly paint that moment. It was so profound in me and and still every time I think about it it's still with me and understanding what happened and and having that language and having that um explanation really really validates that experience because otherwise you just think it's in your head it's like oh, that was in my head that, that was just one of those mad things that happened you know well it was a mad thing that happened that changed the course of my life you know and then when I went into a fellowship and hearing and again this is something you and I talk about a lot is uh, understanding the the founders of the of Alcoholics Anonymous when Dr. Silkworth seeing the change in these two people, well, in, in one person, and understanding that something more had happened other than any treatment support or any medication support, something had happened in this person that he couldn't explain, you know, and validated then that community and how it works. And to me, that was the nearly kind of the original where the science and the and the the lived experience meet and we wouldn't have used that language back then but um but it I very much feel its roots its roots are there there was a partnership there and I think somehow it kind of drifted apart and we're hoping to kind of bridge that gap another little bit with these with these conversations um yeah really it it kind of helps to tell the story and uh and I'm curious. I'm I'm a curious kind of a person, so I want to know. I want to know the the ins and outs of things as much as I possibly can. You know, um, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Well, I suppose what I think what we want to do is strip it back and look at those things individually. So look at you know the recovery capital in each factor and look at how people kind of begin a journey in recovery and and unpack those factors and i think what we're talking about is doing a piece of that every week so from the recovery coach and the professor we'll see you next week over now you've been listening to let's talk about recovery with professor johanna ivers and recovery coach sandra losty